Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Hey, I want to talk to you about the book of Galatians today. I've really enjoyed our study in the book of Galatians. It's an it's a amazing book. Um, so I want, to, I want to close out our study. I think it's been about six weeks been about six weeks, but it's been over the course of several months because of the the different things that have happened in the summer. But um, I want to wrap it up today, but I want to set it up by looking at a really special church in the scriptures, the church in Antioch. Um, This is the church that Paul worked out of. And uh, this is the church that was 300 miles from Jerusalem. The Corinthian church was much farther than Jerusalem, which only makes my point taking up the offering stronger. But the Antioch church is the church that Paul worked out of. And it was the, um, my first sermon here at Emmanuel as your pastor was uh, the first Sunday in January, 2021. And I preached on the church in Antioch. And I was talking about what makes a church great or what makes a great church. And uh, we're looking at the church in Antioch. You know, the book of Acts opens up. You open up, the, the, the believers are gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit falls on them in Jerusalem. God is just doing amazing things. That early church in Jerusalem is a powerhouse, you know? And it was the first church. It was the, when the church was born, that was it. Center of Christianity right there in Jerusalem. But, you know, just because they were the first doesn't necessarily mean they were the best, if we were to compare. I want to talk to you about another church in the book of Acts, which is the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch is 300 miles north of the church in Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem. And it became, in the book of Acts, in a very short time, it actually became the center of the Christian world, the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch was the church that sent Paul on his missionary journeys through all the Roman world. It was the church in Antioch that Peter came up and visited. You remember in the beginning of Galatians when Peter comes up and and Paul opposed him right there publicly. It was the Antioch church where all this was happening. And all that we know about this great church from Scripture is found in 15 verses in the book of Acts. 15 verses. You'll find them in Acts chapter 11 and in Acts chapter 13. So if you'll open your Bible to Acts chapter 11, I want to just, let's just look at this church in Antioch. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. So a little background. Uh, Stephen, you know, had been uh, uh, martyred and persecution arose against the church and the church in Jerusalem. Many of them, except for the leaders who stayed, many of them were scattered. So they're spreading out all over looking for safety. And it says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So they're spreading out all over the area. And it says they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay, No one except Jews. Verse 20. But there were some of them, not all of them, but some, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Some of your Bibles, if you're following me in your Bible, it may say they spoke to the Greeks also. We're talking about people who are living, who are Greeks, either Jewish people who've just adopted Greek culture and kind of abandoned their Jewishness, or even Gentiles who were part of the Greek-speaking world with the Greek customs, the Greek manners, the Greek traditions. In other words, they were non-Jewish people. 
And so they start speaking to these non-Jewish people, and verse 21 says this, that the hand of the Lord was with them. So God was very pleased with them going out to non-Jewish people, right? And speaking the word, obviously. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the first thing I see about this church in Antioch is that it's a multicultural church. It's not a church of just all Jewish people. God is pleased. I mean, you look at Revelation, and he's got men from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Amen? And so there's no reason why our, you know, our churches shouldn't reflect people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Amen? And so the first thing I see about this church in Antioch, it's a multicultural church. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they're sending Barnabas up there to check it out. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, it says. He saw the grace of God. So God's present in this church. His grace is there. He's moving, right? And he was glad. And so what's he do? He encourages them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. It's a purposeful church, isn't it? And he was a good man, Barnabas, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So the next thing I see here, this church is a growing church. The grace of God is moving and people are continuously being added to the Lord. This is, this is, this is God. This is a picture of a healthy church. Amen. A multicultural church, a growing church. Uh, Look at verse 25. So Barnabas, he goes back to Tarsus to look for Saul. And if you remember, they were kind of a little bit afraid of Saul because, you know, he was the one who was the, the originator of all this persecution. But he goes and he brings him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so look at this. Barnabas and Paul for a year, they're there teaching the Antioch church, right? They're teaching. So it's a teaching church. Amen? They didn't despise teaching. And they were called Christians, which means Christ followers, right? Disciples of Christ. I mean, that's really what it means. Well, isn't that interesting? I mean, Paul didn't walk with with Jesus when he was on the earth. Barnabas didn't, as far as we know. But they weren't making disciples of themselves, were they? They were making disciples of Jesus Christ because of the message, because God was alive and working in this church. That they didn't say, I'm following Cephas, I'm following Peter, I'm following Apollos. No, they were Christians. Why? Because they were following Jesus. That's the sign of a healthy church, isn't it? So here it is. It's a teaching church, and they're teaching them the word. And then verse 27, it says, In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So prophets came. So this is a prophesying church. Amen? We can't despise prophecy. Even though there's a lot of craziness out there on, on the Internet and in the Christian world and on TV where people have a lot of words and, and things. But, man, prophecy is real. God has things that he wants to speak to us by the Spirit. And there are things that we will only know through the Spirit of God. Amen? So we don't despise prophecy. The church in Antioch was a prophetic church. Verse 28 And one of them, one of the prophets named Agabus, stood up and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took, oh, we talked about that in the offering, didn't we? There's your famine. Okay. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one of them, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so the church in Antioch was a giving church. 
All right? It was a giving church. Now, if you'll skip over to uh, chapter 13, we're going to read the first three verses there. Now, in uh, 13 and verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So we already said it's a prophetic church and a teaching church. Um, and then it names them. And, uh, you know, what is the purpose of prophets and teachers? According to Ephesians chapter 4, you know, he gave the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, right? What's the purpose of that? 4 verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, right? So this was a working church, right? Because these gifts were working. The, the ministry gifts were there. Why? Because they were building up the people to do the work of the ministry. So I think we can safely say, wouldn't you, that this church in Antioch was a working church, Amen. They weren't just sitting around just having prayer meetings necessarily. No, that, that, that's bad. You need prayer meetings, but they were also going out, taking their faith out and working and doing the work of the ministry. So it was a working church. Look at verse 2. It says, one day while they were worshiping. It's a worshiping church, wasn't it? They were worshiping the Lord and doing what? They were fasting. So it's a fasting church. Look at all this stuff. And then the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And so it's a Holy Spirit-led church, isn't it? While they're worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them in the church. We don't know how that came. We don't know if they all heard an audible voice or if, or if very likely somebody stood up and had a word of the Lord that they spoke audibly and other people who were also in the Spirit could judge that and agree with it, Right. And so very often how, how a word from the Lord comes in the church. And so regardless of how it came, the names of the people who brought the message aren't important. This was a Holy Spirit-led church. Amen? And then in verse 3, it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this church in Antioch was a praying church. Isn't that good? And also it was a mission-sending church. It was a sending church, wasn't it? Did I miss any? Did I miss any? I mean, just look at you. You maybe have come up with a couple more. I don't know. But, you know, we talk about a lot about being a relevant church. We want to be relevant. And I agree. We need to be relevant. But the first thing we need to do is be relevant to God. Amen? We need to be relevant to Him. We need to be doing these kinds of things so that we have a word when, we're, when we engage the culture. And so first, we've got to be relevant to God. So this church in Antioch is a multicultural, growing, teaching, prophetic, giving, working, worshiping, fasting, spirit-led, praying, missionary-sending church. I like that. I want to go to a church like that, don't you? I do. We, we, we do a little bit of all of these, don't we? When we support missionaries, we have, for the size of our church, we've got two missionaries overseas right now who came out of this church. who used to go here. I love it. I love it. But what we want to do, we want to increase in this. We want to not let go of these things. These are the kinds of things we want to see increase in our midst. Amen? And here's what I said um, when I first came on, because it was my first Sunday as the pastor. I said, what makes a church great? you got all this stuff going on in this church, and we don't even know the name of the pastor. Can anybody tell me the name of the pastor in Antioch? Because mm -mm. what makes a church great? It's spirit-filled people being spirit-led, following the Spirit of God and doing all of these things. That's what makes a church great. It's the people that God brings together. Amen? Amen? 
When we see, so we see a picture here in Antioch of spiritual people seeking God, fellowshipping with one another, being led of the Spirit, practicing generosity, honoring the Word, and look at what God is doing through that church in Antioch. Changing the world, literally. I mean, we're still feeling the impact of that church today. So how far do you want to go as a church, man? Uh-uh. Let's go, right? Let's go. Let's keep going. Uh, we're on the right path. Let's keep going. Amen? Yeah. Let's do it. So if you'll go to Galatians um, chapter 6, um, I'm going to knock out Galatians for, for us today. Uh, I'm going to preach a little message in the last chapter of Galatians talking about being led by the Spirit so that we can be those kind of people, those Antioch Christians. Galatians 5 and verse 25, I'm tricking you, I'm going back one chapter. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul has just got done in the end of Galatians chapter 5 talking about being Spirit-led, keeping step in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, not giving into the flesh. And so this is what he's talking about as he launches into chapter 6. And chapter 6 picks up this theme. In verse 1, it says, Brothers, or and sisters, you could say, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. But look at that phrase right there. You who are spiritual. He's writing to these churches in Galatians, and he says, guys, if anybody is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, go to them and restore them. Why did he have to say, you who are spiritual? Because not everybody in church is spiritual. I hate to say that, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, not, not all, you know, church leaders are spiritual. Not all pastors are spiritual. Not all worship leaders are spiritual, right? So he says, you who are spiritual... You, you're the person who needs to restore this person caught in a transgression. You're the one who needs to do it. And, and, and uh, not the legalist, you know? There's, there's enough legalism in church. There's enough people who will look down your nose and go over there and try to straighten somebody out. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody ever been corrected by somebody who's been like legalist, right? You're done and you just feel worse than you were when you began, right? I mean, that's not the person who has the power to really restore somebody, is it? Not the legalist, but also not the person who's like, hey, man, don't worry about it. We're under grace. <laughs> you know, one of the problems, one of the problems with the church is we don't all, I'm not talking about you. Okay, when I say the church, I'm talking about things I observe in the, in the country, man. You guys are, you guys are, you guys are sharp. I know you know this. But one of the things, one of the things is we don't always see sin as true bondage, Right? If you see it as bondage, you want to be free of it. It's a snare, and it's robbing your life, right? Sin is a snare. It's something you want to be free. Yeah, sure, I'm under grace, but I'm still trapped in this addictive, destructive behavior. I'm trapped in this lifestyle. I'm trapped. No, grace gives you the power to overcome that, or it's not true grace. So he says, uh, you who are spiritual. So we need to see sin as bondage. Because this man, he's caught in this transgression and he's evidently not able to get free himself. But it's the heart of God for him to be restored. And so when that person goes to him for restoration, 
does the legalist really have the heart of God? <laughs> Why, you, I'm one of, you know, a lot of people have the image of God sitting there with a big stick just waiting for you to mess up so he can knock you on the head when you do something wrong, right? Where did that come from? It came from a lot of people who spoke in his name who acted like that toward other people, right? No, God wants you to be restored. God wants restoration. He wants to receive you back into his family. Look at the story of the prodigal son. That's what you see, the heart of the father running out to meet the lost son, putting the robe on him and putting the ring on his finger. That's the heart of God. So you who are spiritual, not the legalist, not the one who's licensing everybody to sin, but the spiritual person. Why? Because it really takes a spiritual person to walk in the meekness and humility that it takes to set somebody free. Amen. So you are a spiritual. The church needs men and women who are spiritual. You remember when Jesus, um, they dragged that woman who'd committed adultery before Jesus and threw her down there and said, hey, was it John chapter 8? And he's like, you know, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And Jesus' response, you know, after riding in the dirt and all that stuff, he says, what? Let who, he who is without sin among you throw the first stone, right? And then he looks back down and they all start leaving from the oldest first, then the youngest. There's something about having a few years on you, right? The youngest were holding out and they were thinking, how can I get away with this? <laughs> how can I throw this? But the oldest, they knew right away. Man, they were sensitive. Their years had seasoned them. We need to honor people who are older. We worship youth in this culture. I love young people. I want young people to run with me, man. I want to run with them. I want to help them. I want to equip them. But we got to honor. We got to honor older people. Amen. So look at the gentleness, though, that Jesus had. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Is there anyone left to, to uh, accuse you? And she's like, no one, sir. Like, then neither do I condemn you. Go, leave your life of sin, right? Go and sin no more. He didn't say go and try to be more discreet about it next time. <laughs> he didn't say go and <clears throat> try not to get caught next time. <laughs> it was careless. No, he said go. Look, when, G when Jesus gives you command, it's, it's empowerment, right? You know, I think about when he tells people, go and leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. What about the person who's paralyzed and he says, rise up and walk? Well, that's ridiculous, Jesus. He's paralyzed. He can't. Yeah, he can because Jesus said to. The power to do that was in the words of Jesus, right? And so, you know, when he says, go and leave your life of sin, well, I can't, Jesus. It's too much. You, know, you don't understand. We all sin. No. If I spoke it to you, the power to do that is in my command. I didn't, he didn't leave us powerless, right? But he wants us to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. And just look at the demeanor of Jesus in dealing with a woman who was caught in the very act. I mean, she was guilty, right? I mean, under the law, she should have been stoned. But look at how Jesus, he didn't condemn her. He didn't destroy her. He didn't just, okay, I'll let you go, but let her carry the guilt of it. He said, I'm not going to condemn. What? I mean, does that not move your heart? I don't condemn you. For God to look at you and say, then neither do I condemn you. And then he sets her free. He restores her. It's a beautiful thing. It's a word of empowerment. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, we shouldn't be so arrogant as to think that we're not 
<clears throat> that we're just so far above every kind of temptation. Amen. Verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, spiritual Christians, come on, mature spiritual Christians are supposed to be helping younger Christians carrying their burdens, helping them through situations. Amen. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for one another. And so the you who are spiritual should be carrying one another's burdens. Uh, carry, you know, this word here is, uh, we'll see it in a minute, but this word here, burden, is talking about a crushing, heavy load. You know, maybe this is the load of sin that, you know, we're supposed to be restoring people from, right? Maybe this is, I don't know what kind of crushing heavy load, but it's not something that God has placed on. Maybe your circumstances did it. Maybe it was just an attack from Satan. Maybe it was the culture of expectations. Maybe it was bad decisions you've made. And here you find yourself just being crushed under the weight of your load. And what does Jesus say to do? What does Paul tell us to do in Jesus' name? He says, bear one another's burdens. It's good, isn't it? It's what spiritual people do. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's verse 3. Verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then he has reason to boast. Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. When I read this one, it says, you know, test your own work, right? Boast in yourself. Don't boast in your neighbor. I'm thinking about that prayer. Do you remember that prayer in uh, Luke? Um, where the two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a tax collector and the other one was a Pharisee. Remember what the Pharisee prayed? Um, yeah, he stood up and he says, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. <laughs> Talk about comparing yourself. <laughs> I mean, right there. I'm okay because I'm not like, <clears throat> I'm not like other men. And he names them. Right? His prayer is naming them extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Why? He looked pretty good in his own eyes when he's comparing himself to other men. But was he accepted by God? <laughs> he was on his way to hell and didn't even know it because he was self-deceived. Man, self-deception is the worst. It's the worst. You know, if you've got friends and family who might be bringing correction to your life, don't just get angry right off. Pray about it. Pray about it. Let's not be so proud and arrogant that we're beyond correction. Amen? We all need to be able to be teachable. That's the word, teachable, correctable. And then verse 5, it says, um, For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, this sounds like a little bit of a contradiction to the last verse, but it's not. He says, you know, bear one another's burdens. This one says, for each one will have to bear his own load. The other one is talking about a crushing burden. This this word here, um, it actually figuratively, figuratively is used as a task or service. Each of you has a task to do. Each of you has a responsibility, a service that you have to do for God, a service that you have to do to your family, a service that you have to do for your church. Each one of you has a responsibility. It's also more applied to not a heavy crushing load, but where it is used of a load, it's talking about cargo, like in a ship or, you know, in your backpack, your supplies that you're carrying, like a soldier carrying a backpack. You've got a responsibility. You've got tools to, to use to do your responsibility. And we've all got to carry our own load in that sense, right? But when we see a brother just crushed down with dissipation and the weight of the world, what are we going to do? We're going to go help them carry their load too. So this is what spiritual people do, amen? This is what makes a church great. So um, in verse 6, 
It says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So what are we talking about? We're talking about supporting those who are, are working and laboring in ministry, right? And Paul didn't always take advantage of this. Paul was very happy to even work with his hands to not be a burden to the churches he was trying to reach. Yet several places here and in, in uh, is it First Corinthians, they or Second Corinthians, I think he uh, he states it as a principle that those who are working among you, laboring and teaching the word, are worthy of being supported with material things. So it is a principle that's, uh, that Paul has placed and God has placed in the church. Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. This is a lot like what we were reading about in our offering passage, wasn't it? Didn't plan that, but it just happens to be. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his, from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So the things that we do matter, don't they? The way we sow, the actions that we do, um, it matters. It makes a difference. Um, you know, I'm concerned that... Um, Again, I'm not talking necessarily about our church, but Christians in, in churches, you don't hear a lot of messages about really denying yourself anymore, do you? You know, that's not real popular on Christian television or, or programs about laying your life down and denying yourself. It's more popular to get followers and viewers if you're teaching about, you know, all the ways that God wants to bless you, right? But what about laying down your life? What about denying yourself? I just got to thinking about this, you know, because how does it read there? It says, uh, you know, the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. It matters, the things that we do. Uh, Romans chapter 8, it says, put to death the deeds of the body. This is strong language, isn't it? You know, your King, King James Version says, mortify the deeds of the flesh, right? Mortify. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's just one of those words. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Put it to death, end it, put it on the cross, nail it there, and let it die. Um, Colossians 3.5, put to death what is earthly in you. And this is not just a random thought. This is repeated constantly through scriptures. There are certain things that, man, as a Christian, I just, just got to put to death. You know, I grew up in a time period where everybody wanted to, oh, I'm getting off my notes, this is dangerous. Everybody wanted a Christian alternative to everything. Christian alternative for Halloween and Christian alternative for um, you know, just everything going on, you know. Sometimes you just have to say no. Sometimes there's not a Christian alternative, you know. If, there, if there's a TV show, I got to have a Christian alternative TV show. If there's, if there's rap music, I got to have Christian rap. If there's heavy metal, I got to have Christian heavy metal. If there's whatever, I mean, we always have to have an alternative. And I'm not getting down on anybody who's using those avenues to, to you know, you like it, you do it, whatever, pray about it. But I'm just saying the idea that we always need an alternative is not from the heart of God. Some things just need to be hung out and let to die. We just need to let some things go if we're going to go on with God. Why should we be taking our cues from the world anyway? You're never going to be cooler than them as long as you're following them. Fifteen years ago, I used to go out in the street and do um, sidewalk Sunday school out in the projects, and we'd go out and set up our truck and everything. You guys know Kiko. It's a similar kind of thing that we did. And uh, I would always just look for... 
oh, just innocent cartoon themes and stuff to play for music when we were doing games. But I had other people I work with and they'd go and try to get just Christian rap, right? I mean, I don't care. You're Christian, it's fine. I'm not dogging it. I mean, just if you like it, go listen to it. But, but out there in the street, in that environment where rap comes from, I'm like, man, you are never going to come out here and outdo the world in their own game. Why not just be something different? Be fresh. Give them what they're not expecting. You know what I'm saying? And so some things we just need to let go. Some things we need to let go. Walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5.16 says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. New American Standard reads like this, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Some things just don't need carried out. You're not going to find it in a substitute. Just let it, let it go. End it. That's the word of the Lord this morning. End it. So what's all this saying? It means that you, the spiritual you, the real you, are the boss of you. All right, that's how I would say it to my kids. Abigail's getting to the point where I can teach her stuff like this. You're the boss of you, <laughs> you know? You're the boss of you. You can control, right? Not your flesh, not your sinful desires. You're the boss of you. Sometimes you have to decide to make a decision to do something that's against what you're wanting to do. Why? Because you're the boss of you. And by the Spirit of God, you have the power and authority to mortify the deeds of the flesh because why? You and Jesus in you is the boss of you. And you can direct the course of your life. We are responsible for the things that we do in our body. Amen? And verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen? So five things I read. Five things that a spiritual people, a spiritual person does. One, the spiritual people restore those caught in sin. Spiritual people bear one another's burdens. Spiritual people support with support those who teach the word. Spiritual people are willing to deny themselves by sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh. And spiritual people use every opportunity to do good. How many of you know opportunities usually come with an expiration date, right? So as long as we're able, we're going to take every opportunity. You know, we got an opportunity right now to go build that little cabin up at the Dream Center. That won't be there forever. There'll be another opportunity after that. But right now, that's my opportunity in front. So we're going to do it, right? Amen. We have an opportunity this Saturday to go help um, Zach and Jody's church hand out boxes of food to people who are hungry. Man, let's not miss the opportunity. Amen. We have an opportunity to come together and uh, fellowship with one another and build one another up and encourage one another because you might be doing just fine and not feel like you need it, but somebody here needs you desperately. And I used to say this all the time and Ren Kim would tell me, start saying it again. We need to be connected. You guys need to be connected. You guys need to be connected with one another. I love when I hear that somebody was missing and somebody else comes to me and says, yeah, I called them. You know, I, I asked about them because why? That's how it should be, amen? We're a body. We, we're here for one another, to do life with one another and carry one another's loads. This is the marks of a spiritual church and the sign of a great church. And I tell you what, I just think Emmanuel is a great church. So thank you for letting me be a part of what God's doing here with you guys. But let's just keep pushing on. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. 
I thank you. I catch a glimpse of your heart and I see what you want to do for your people and for the church. I see the love and the compassion and the healing in these stories and in these instructions, Lord, because you didn't give us any instruction that you yourself don't carry out yourself. You want people restored in the spirit of gentleness. It's because you, the gentle, and your gentleness and your goodness and your kindness want to restore and reconcile people to yourself. So, Father God, here we are. We want to be a part of what you're doing. Father, help us to make it real. Let us give it hands and feet and not let these words just bounce off our eardrums, but let them sink into our heart and produce fruit for the kingdom through our actions, through our giving, and through our working in the ministry. Lord, I love you and I just thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the even the months to come, Lord. Expecting good things. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I just bless Emmanuel. May you be blessed. Be safe, be protected, and Lord, bring us back together safely again this Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.